What is up, Grizz Nation? I am your host, Parker Fleming. And for this episode of The Long View, I went to the Spotify Green Room app and hosted a room full of Grizzlies and Mavericks content creators, such as GBB's Joe Mullinax, Sean Coleman of GBB, and the Lot on Grizzlies podcast, and some of the wonderful people over at Mavs Moneyball, such as Kirk Henderson, their site manager, Lauren Gunn, another staff writer there, and another Mavericks podcaster known as Brian Xylem. I've been wanting to have a conversation with these folks for a very long time. Before we get over to that Green Room conversation, I want to make sure you are liking, subscribing, downloading the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on whatever podcast platform you use. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. So you can get every single episode of GBB Live, the Longview Podcast, the 3D Podcast, the Core 4 Podcast, and the starting Five podcasts, and also make sure you are keeping in tune with the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies or on our website at grizzlyberryblues.com. And now, on to the green room. All right, let's let's get let's go ahead and get this show on the road. So, I would have done this on like closer to that first game, but you know, there's the Grizzlies' historic win over the Oklahoma City Thunder, and then. I, I just couldn't really host a green room on a Friday night or a Friday afternoon. So here we are hosting the day before the Grizzlies are going to face off against the Dallas Mavericks in Memphis. And um, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of maps Twitter. I follow a lot of great people on there. A few of them that are in this room, uh, Brian Tylum, uh, Lauren Gunn, Kirk Henderson, and plenty of others. And, I think these two teams are interesting for more reasons beyond just they're in the same division and they got a generational young star on the roster. There's a lot of different connecting points and stuff. And I wanted to be able to collab and talk and all that stuff about those different things and then kind of get a Dallas Mavericks perspective on what's going on with some of the stuff in Memphis right now. Obviously all good vibes over here, five game winning streak, haven't trailed in over a week. Can't relate to what the Mavs fan base are feeling right now. But I want to go ahead and get things started with – I'll start with Lauren. Just why, why are the vibes what they are in Mavs Twitter? Like I, I tweeted out yesterday that I think the Mavericks fan base, as far as Twitter goes, is the most down bad of any of the ones I've seen on Twitter. So, like, Lauren, what's really going on over here? And then Brian, feel free I'm in after. Oh, man. I mean, Mavs Twitter is it requires a lot of. It requires a lot of like self, like mental stability, to be honest, because there is a lot of negativity, like Mark Cuban called us out. I mean, there there just is a lot of negativity because the reality is ever since we got Luca, everybody's expectations changed in terms of a timeline. But and, and a lot of fans haven't exactly been satisfied with what 
the front office has done to kind of surround this team or surround Luca, I should say, with the appropriate pieces in their opinion. And so there's a lot of overreactions and I don't know in reference or like in comparison to some other teams, like what, how bad it is, but I know it's pretty bad. Um, so I try to stay like middle ground, like hold the team accountable, but also try to stay optimistic because I think the problem with NBA Twitter is that a lot of times people will get caught up in looking at it on a year to year basis and being like, Oh, this is a just massive failure. Let's blow it up. Let's make a huge trade. And that's just not how NBA teams work. They don't, they don't go year to year. This is like a long-term thing. There's job security. There's people's like, there's just so much involved. And so you got to kind of keep your perspective. And right now the Mavs are not in a good place because they've been dealing with injuries ever since Luca went down and missed a couple of games. Uh, we were, I mean, we were like doing what were we fourth in the West and we were like, beating good, well, well, let me not say beating good teams, but we're in a good place, and now it just seems like everything's going downhill, so, yeah, trying to uh, get, back up, get back on track, really. Yeah, Parker, so the to quote a great uh, Dallas Maverick, the uh, vibes are certainly not immaculate at this point in time. Um, you know, we've got players that have missed games due to COVID, uh, personal reasons, injuries, uh, Luca and KP are currently banged up. Uh, KP looks pro. Uh, looks like KP and Luca have been upgraded to probable for tonight, which is good. I don't know how that uh, will work out come tomorrow versus the uh, Grizzlies, but I just think for me, you know, any anytime Lauren and I have ever done a show together, she's always been the straight man. Um, she's always kept me in check as far as my ability to be patient with this team. And I, I feel like as uh, a general Mavs Twitter person, I am patient, but just with Luca inking this contract now, you know, the, the, the time is pretty much up. And I feel like where a lot of fans, uh, I'll throw myself in there, are included. Mark is really going out of his way to really point, I don't know, to make fun, like, of Mavs Twitter, of being ridiculous. And, of course, every fan base is going to be ridiculous, right? Let's call a spade a spade here. It's sports. Like, Dallas Cowboy Twitter is ridiculous. Like, I'm sure Sean will comment. I'm sure Atlanta Braves Twitter was ridiculous at times during their World Series run. It, it, it that You know, that's just part of the game. But Cuban actively calling us out is not helping the matter. And then, you know, I'm – Still never come across an owner that's still willing to have email exchanges with fans. Apparently, Mark is still doing that, which is interesting. I don't know if I would actively want my owner to be doing that, where I would want him maybe focusing on the uh, task at hand as, you know, maybe making a deal if that's all. But that, but then again, that's Mark. But with this team, Parker, for, for me, uh, I'm just my, – my patience level is very, very thin. With this team, I, I, it's running out because it's interesting, even with the most patient people, uh, you know, Dalton Trigg, uh, you know, other than uh, Lauren, Dalton Trigg is one of the most optimistic people on Mavs Twitter, and even his patience is really getting uh, thinned out. And it's because, you know, just because Luca inked this, mil- you know, this mega contract doesn't mean he's going to stay because the world we live in right now, superstars get upset and they want to move. Luca could say by summer he wants to leave. It, it could happen. I got, I'm not trying to put it out there, but it could happen. And I think that's like where a lot of the fan base's frustration is right now because we've seen how great he is, but yet we haven't really met that second level. You know, Luca still hasn't won a playoff series at, at this point in time, which is maddening. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point. Um, 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 I
Yeah, I mean, for sure. I totally understand that. And I think that's where it's kind of interesting. Well, for one, the fact that Cuban – see, they're, like with what we're talking about right now with the Grizzlies and the Mavericks, it's like two different opposite ends of the spectrum here. You have Mark Cuban who's probably engaged too much with the fan base, too in touch with the fan base. But then you have Robert Perra who seems non-existent until the fact that he apparently sat courtside with – uh, general manager Zach Kleiman the uh, last night at the Heat game, but I, I felt like that dynamic's really interesting. Kind of makes I guess the vibes go down a little bit, especially since Mark Cuban is so polarizing. Mark, if you're listening to this, I'm getting into cryptocurrency and I'm a big fan of Shark Tank, so please don't take this podcast down. But I guess the thing with Luca, and like I know Brian, you're talking about it, is you know you don't know what's going to happen with Luca. You don't know how he's going to react to all the team building and coaching decisions, personnel decisions, all that. And there really is that sped up timeline for y'all because you have Luca, who's generational. I mean, you already have people saying that he's on an all-time great trajectory. Uh, he's gotten predicted to be MVP the past two seasons, even though he hasn't gotten that. And then they also traded away, what, three first-round picks for Porzingis? Is that is that my memory serving me right there? Is it two or three? Two, two and DSJ. Two and DSJ, right. So because of the minimal draft assets that you have there, plus the fact that you already kind of made this quasi all-in move, there's a little that added pressure. I guess that's in the fact of like falling below expectations, the polarizing Jason Kidd hire for many, many reasons, um, both as a person and as an actual coach. I, I can see the bad vibes, but – I'll go to Lauren again. Uh, is there hope? Like, is there hope that, you know, maybe they can turn it around, maybe under Jason Kidd or with the personnel? Like, is the hope basically lying in Luka Doncic or is the hope really like kind of lying in Kristaps? Where are you on this? Yeah, I mean, it, from where I'm saying, there's definitely hope. Like, like Brian said, Luka just signed this contract. The pressure is definitely on, but this is also the first year of this front office. And so um, – there are a lot of people that keep saying, oh, the Mavs do nothing. The Mavs haven't done anything. And while there is an argument for that, this is a completely new front office for, well, in terms of how deals are going to go down. And with Nico being brought in, I, I have the, I'm in the stance that, okay, if Dallas, if Mark just wanted to hire, or if he just wanted a yes man, that's going to kind of sit back and just, cause it's Mark's team. Mark doesn't have any plans on selling the team. They don't have any plans on making any significant changes. Then he would have just kept Donnie around. He wouldn't have brought somebody in that's brand new who's making a lot of money. He wouldn't have done all that. And so do I think it's a done deal that, yeah, they're going to make a big move by the deadline that's going to change everything? I don't think it's a done deal because there are so many factors outside of what they can control. Uh, but I don't doubt that they're being aggressive. Um, I said earlier that uh, I think on Twitter, maybe I didn't, maybe I deleted it. Maybe it's in my drafts. But um, when I'm at the games, Nico's talking to everyone like coaches, players, team, or uh, executive, like he's talking to everyone. So I don't doubt that he's getting busy, but like you said, Parker, we have limited assets to deal with. So I don't know right now what the answer is for Dallas, but I do think that there are moves out there to be made. I don't agree with a lot of Mavs Twitter who says our entire roster is trash and nobody wants a single thing that we have. I don't agree with that. 
Um, there are other teams that are also desperate and also in certain positions where they just need to shake something up. So I am hopeful, but I also am sitting here with the mindset of you need to act sooner than later. And you can't find yourself in another position where God forbid Porzingis gets hurt or you have another kind of on-court disconnect between Luca and, and Porzingis, which I don't think would happen unless Porzingis just stopped trying. Uh, so short answer, I do, I am hopeful, but the more time goes on, the more frustrated I will get. I think most people could. Yeah, and Parker, for me, so it, player-wise, yes, there's so because they have Luca. Luca can roll out of bed and help this team win 40 games. But what what's pro- problematic is they the Mavericks can't have Luca and Porzingis only play 65% of the time. It just uh, it it's not gonna work, and it's so unfortunate because those early November games, KP was killing it, and we were getting vibes from back twenty like bubble KP. We thought he was back. He was moving around, and then you know there there was those light dings in the games, and it just like oh man, it was just like are we back to square one? And then Luca, it looks like he's trying to keep everything together, but it, he looks really banged up right now, so. It, it's really going to be based on the performance of those two other players. Now, player, uh, you know, those two aside, is there any way for this team to improve the roster and get better? Yes, they're they're kind of long shots. So the Mavericks do have a trade exception. Uh, even Josh Richardson that they still have in their pocket uh, that they could get. I mean, the players that they could target, there's not. I don't think they're necessarily game changers, but I mean, there's it's something that they could do. Uh, would I like the Mavericks to reach out to the Sacramento to see if Tristan Thompson's available? Absolutely. Um, I don't know if that's like he's a, a game changer, but I feel like he would be a upgrade to what they have on the roster right now. I mean, I don't think Danny Green's going anywhere. And you've got guys like uh, Derek Favors. Those are veteran guys that would certainly help the roster, but I don't know if they're going to necessarily put them over the hub, but that's something that they could do now. As far as the draft, they do actually have their draft pick. The only – I don't envy this situation with Nico because Dallas is in such a – you know, they're in a win-now spot, whether they like to admit that or not, because they could end up with maybe a 15, 16, 17 pick again next year, hypothetically, if, you know, if something goes wrong. Are we having the expectations of this brand new GM to say, hey, not only do you need to hit on this traffic, this needs to be a game changer for Luca, which is like, I mean, good luck trying to find a uh, a perennial all-star within that 15 to 18 range. I mean, maybe the Memphis found one. I don't know. It doesn't make, like, time will tell. But that's very, very, that's ambitious, like, optimism, I would say. I mean, Really, for me, there is a way for this roster to improve, but I don't think Mark Cuban wants to go over the tax. He has not gone over the tax in a very long time, and the Mavericks don't have cap space. So as far as adding any additional players in the offseason, they're going to have to do that because they've got Luka on the books. They've got Tim Hardaway now on the books. They've got KP still under contract. They have players coming up that are cheaper, but they're going to have to pay Doran Vinny-Smith. Are they going to pay Jalen Brunson? I don't know. I really don't know, but really, like, in my mind, they're going to have to go over the tax if they really want to make a change to the roster as far as adding substance for Luca. One thing that you and Lauren brought up that I specifically wanted to shift over to and probably the biggest connecting point recently 
and recency bias with the Grizzlies and Mavericks. And for one, Brian, there's one player that the Mavericks don't have to worry about paying, and that's Josh Green, because he hasn't panned out as well, um, and they've passed on um, Desmond Bain, Tyrese Maxey, Sadiq Bay, just to name a few. When, you know, they've had these, like, little stagger points where, you know, 2019, they traded that pick to Atlanta. 2020, that was that Josh Green pick. And then 2021 to the Knicks, you get picked this year, but no pick in 2023. Like, you have to hit on those picks when you're giving up that much draft capital in that certain amount of time. Granted, it's worth it because that 2019 Atlanta pick helped you get Luka. And the New York Knicks picks helped you get Porzingis. So it's worth it. Especially like right now, they're been they've been a top four team in the West for the past two seasons. Like it's working, and they're on that trajectory still. Even though the Grizzlies are fourth right now, they're still a top six team. And this is where I'm going to get my uh, let my Grizzly guys come in and just victory lap for y'all real quick on Desmond Bain. I'm going to let the the president of Desmond Bain Island, Joe Mullinax, go ahead with this one. Desmond Bain, what do you have to say? Hi, friends. Can you hear you me? sure can. Awesome. I'm so excited to be here, and thank you for acknowledging my presidency of Desmond Bain Island. I, I, have, uh, I might have built the island myself and Bryce Hayes over at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm very excited to be joining you. I think that my biggest thing with Desmond Bain as it relates to Dallas is, as, uh, as Desmond kind of alluded to uh, post-game, he was right there. You know, he was right there in the backyard. If anybody should have known about Desmond Bain and, and what he could have been, it would have been the Dallas Mavericks, and yet he was not the pick. And I, I think Desmond had a chip on his shoulder very clearly uh, because of that. But my my favorite thing about the Bain existence in Memphis is how he is so seamlessly kind of taken on the personality of the team established by Dylan Brooks, uh, established by John Moran, obviously, you know, that gritty kind of mentality. It's not quite grit and grind. I'm not going to, you know, it's different eras, but the, the young, brash, audacious way of carrying themselves, you know, the three that Desmond Bain hit, I forget who it was against off the top of my head. I just remember him staring the dude down oh, Utah, after making game it. One. Utah, there you go. Thank you. It was in the Utah game. Appreciate that. So, you know, just I, I'm not sure. Obviously, I don't know Desmond Bain that well, um, but I just feel like he has really kind of taken on the mentality of the roster. And that really is so valuable in terms of playing above what your physical talent perhaps should say you know a lot was made of the negative wingspan a lot was made of the lack of explosion which certainly doesn't seem to be an issue anymore because he has looked pretty darn explosive this season that's one of the things that has jumped out at me the most is how well he's getting to the basket how quickly he's moving um it has really been something to behold and i just truly see what he is doing as a combination of physical growth his combination of being more comfortable in Memphis, being more settled. Parker, you and I were talking about earlier today how, you know, he didn't have an offseason, right? He didn't have a true offseason, as did none of those 2020 guys. They all just kind of got thrown to the fire, and he actually had a chance to work on his game, work on his ball handling at the NBA level uh, through that summer league experience. And then even beyond that, the pull-up jumpers, the pull-up threes, he's one of the best that I've ever seen in terms of pump fake three-pointers. 
usually those don't go in or they go in at a lower percentage. I'd have to do a little more research. Every time he shoots those shots, I feel like he actually they're going to go in, even though it's a quick pump fake like Sam Young used to do back in the day for the Grizzlies. So I'm just really, really, really happy to see how far he's come as a player, his mentality. You know, he fits the mantra of having that chip on the shoulder, being someone that was not recruited very highly. That that connects to the NBA, too. You know, the one Division One school that gave him an offer was TCU. The NBA team right down the street didn't really give him much of a look. And, and the one that did, the Grizzlies that prioritized bringing him in, they're reaping the benefits right Joe, you really unlocked a memory with uh, Sam Young. That that just like yeah, that was a deep cut. I'm sorry, a, sorry to everybody here that's a Dallas hey, fan. You probably didn't get that reference, but it's a deep cut. It's a B. Hey, it's a B side. Yeah, Joe. Not to make you feel old, but I was in middle school when Sam Young was on the Grizzlies. Oh gosh, I think I was covering the Grizzlies when Sam Young was on the Grizzlies. So that does <laughs> make me feel old. Thanks a lot, Parker. Uh, it's all good. But Sean, I, I want to get over to you because I know you. You're you're the stats SAC. You're the stats guy, and I don't want to just restrict you to stats or anything, but just the kind of leaps that you've seen from Desmond Bain. Just I want to kind of get your thoughts on that, and then after, just I kind of want to get in a perspective from Brian and Lauren because you know they got to see Desmond Bain at TCU. I don't know how big a TCU fans they were, but you know, still college town in your backyard. You get to see the you've gotten to see Desmond Bain for four years and. Just if you really kind of expected this from him. So, Sean, go ahead. Yeah, uh, and hello to everybody listening, and hello to Lauren and, and uh, Brian again. Listen, the thing that stood out about Bain was the fact that the quality – what stood out about him, about his shot, was – and I think that it improved as he went on in college. Is I don't think – I think enough respect was owed to it during the draft process – I don't think that the first layer of Desmond Bain was expected, though, his rookie year, where he clearly could be one of the best rookie three-point shooters in terms of quality and accuracy that have been out there. But it's not just Desmond Bain as the three-point shooter. It's the true shooting percentage and effective field goal percentage that really show not only is this man accurate from three consistently, but the three-point shots that he takes are typically the best shot available on an offensive possession. When you combine those two aspects of a three-point shooter at such a young age, you have a quality, quality asset for a team, especially on the contract the Grizzlies have him on. But then stepping up and seeing how his ball handling evolved over the offseason, seeing how he's become a three-level scorer, using his shot as a trigger point to get the defense re- to react, and then either just sidestepping to take another accurate shot, his positioning, the way that he has the ability to quickly get back into his form is amazing. But also beyond that, using that as a way to know when to get to the rim and score, I understand the three-point shot is highly valuable in the NBA today. But now as we're seeing with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain, one of the reasons why both of them have been able to unlock the next level of their offense is because they are balancing out their offensive approach where if one part of it is not working, they have another part of it they can go to to still be relevant. And then when both parts are working, they have the ability to have different levels of resourcefulness to be able to score and score consistently. That's why the Grizzlies have been able to maintain offensive success without John Morant. So when it comes to Desmond Bain, the three-point shot is excellent, 
Obviously, his resourcefulness as a three-point shooter is excellent, but his overall ability as a three-level scorer and his continued ability as a playmaker and defensive player, it's turning him into one of the best contract values in the NBA and also is squarely putting him in that most improved player category. And I think it truly has moved him to probably be into where we now know that in terms of the future core of this team, yes, it's Jaw and Jaron, but it's also Dylan and clearly Bain, and Bain may be who moving ahead of Dylan. Wow. But, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's Bain's leap has probably been the coolest development from the Grizzlies this season, especially when it comes from an individual player standpoint. Obviously, the Jaw leap from – all-star caliber player to a all-NBA caliber player. Definitely the coolest, I would say. And uh, as Daniel Green points out, Daniel Greer, excuse me, points out in the chat, Desmond Bain is currently just plus 10,000 for most improved. I think you should probably cap buy in on that right now before it gets any lower. But Brian, Lauren, I don't know if y'all are TCU people. I just, you know, Dallas kind of in the area. But y'all got to see Bain in college. And I kind of just want to see if y'all foresaw this coming and just um, – I, I don't know how to ask this because it's kind of a very um, intentional question, but wouldn't Desmond Bain be nice next to Luka Doncic? Like, is it kind of stinging a little bit? And out of those three of, like, Sadiq Bay, Desmond Bain, Tyrese Maxey, like, is this one stinging the most? <sighs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go first, Lauren, if you don't mind. Uh, so during, like during that draft prep, Barker, um, Lauren was obviously killing it with her draft prep and she was smarting me up on a lot of people. And I think talking to other people, uh, Sean Bush, front of, uh, our good friend, um, Mavs draft, uh, luck on, uh, Mavs draft. If you haven't, uh, listened to him before, like Richard's like a smart, very smart draft guy, but Bain was a guy I can't remember where he was slated at, but he seemed like a perfect Carlisle guy because the problem in the past and the biggest criticisms that Carlisle like received as a coach during his Maverick tenure is he did not play young guys. He essentially had to play DSJ and Luca, whether he liked to or not. So the way they looked at talent and evaluated talent for a very long time prior to the Jalen Brunson, uh, um, draft and uh where they picked him up they really kind of took flyers on a lot of guys but really all it took what all rick carlo really wanted was a guy who could legally rent a car and look at chris duarte over in indiana that that was a Carlisle pick if he ever wanted to so i don't know how much rick had um a voice in as far as actually drafting a guy but this seemed like the perfect player to draft especially he wanted to be a maverick he was a four-year guy. He had experience, and he seems very coachable. All the perfect signs for the Carlisle signing. So I can't say I saw him much as far as his tenure at TCU Parker, but I can tell you from experience, when I saw him this summer in Vegas, I said, oh, boy, I don't know who he was working with on his shot, but it was night and day. It was just it was wet. It was he was hitting everything. The form looked different, and I already told myself I was like, okay, this one's definitely going to come back and kick us in the nuts really, really hard because he looked phenomenal. And for anybody that says a summer league is not important for development, 
I would like to t- uh, have them look at Desmond Bain in the summer league and uh, get back to me later. Yeah, no, I agree. It kind of just brings up how like you know they, people say, oh, summer league's not important. Well, I feel like OKC would have wished they would have sent Poku to summer league, but yeah, let me get Lauren's thoughts because you know as Brian alluded to, Lauren did very deep draft coverage. Uh, she's very good at covering like the acquisition part of it for Mass Moneyball, whether it's draft or trade or free agency. So. Kind of want to get your thoughts. Did you see this coming? And do you think out of all the the what could have been, that this one is probably going to sting the most? Yeah, I mean, I think this one definitely stings, stings the most because it was – it did seem like not only was it a perfect fit, but it seemed like it was going to happen. There was the mutual interest. Everyone knew that Desmond Bain was very much on the Mavericks' radar and that they interviewed him the same time they interviewed – uh, and did all their pre-draft stuff with Tyrese Halliburton when they were deciding whether or not they could try and move up for him. Like, it was very clear that Bain was high priority on their list. And then when it came time for draft night, I mean, we all have heard the Josh Green, Sadiq Bay, Bob, Donnie, all that mess. So it was clear that pick 18 was not where they were looking at Bain. But going into draft night, the conversation was, does Dallas take Bain at 18 because the Lakers or one of these teams in the 20s are going to see him as this, like you said, four-year guy that's very plug and play, um, are they going to take him? And I think Dallas going, I was clear. I mean, that's exactly what happened going into draft night. You had all the, you had the, they, I assume they had the Intel that told them he was going to be there at 31, which is exactly what Memphis found out when they went in and still got the pick from Boston. Cause they knew that Dallas was going to take him at 31. Uh, but yeah, that was a mistake. And so should they have probably taken him at 18? Yeah. But at the time, there was clearly much bigger issues going on in the front office, in the draft room, all of it. Uh, so, yeah, it, it definitely stings. But I think Dallas, I mean, that 2020 draft night, I am still a Josh Green fan. I know there are a lot of people out there who are out, which is fine. I could care less. Um, but that pick didn't really align with where we were going and where we were trying to go. Do I know if Desmond Bain would have been as successful in Dallas as he is in Memphis. I don't know because that first year with Rick Carlisle, I don't know what his opportunity would have looked like. So um, I think it's just kind of a perfect fit in Memphis. I would love to have him here. I wish he had ended up here, but that's just that's just the way it goes sometimes. So, yeah, you just got to move on. Parker, could I add something in real quickly if that's all right? No. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, and, and I didn't know if you were going to get to this point or not, but – you know, we talked about how Josh Green has not worked out, how Jason Bain has, and that's fine. But the other very interesting aspect of all this is the Tyrell Terry wrinkle in all of this, both from the Grizzlies' side as well as the Mavericks' side. Because as Parker can certainly attest to, what got a lot of Grizzlies fans who were going into this 2020 draft with only the 40th pick, what got a lot of us excited was that days before – we had learned that the Grizzlies had worked out Tyrell Terry, who many felt was going to be probably a pick in the 20s, who was an exciting pick that made sense for both the Mavericks and the um, Grizzlies, who both needed perimeter shooting. And it was the Grizzlies who were rumored to have picked Tyrell Terry. And, you know, there was the added aspect of him being potentially one of the best shooters up there with Bain, but also having potential point guard capabilities as well. And so when we saw that the, you know, Grizzlies moved ahead of the Mavericks at number 30. By the way, live reaction is down there between me and Brian when Bain was picked. Uh, And the Grizzlies picked Bain. It was Tyrell Terry 
who went to the Mavericks. And, you know, unfortunately, it didn't work out. He's no longer with the team. I don't say that to in any way, shape or form, be negative to Mavs fans. But Tyrell Terry, in my opinion, was probably thought by the majority of draft, you know, Twitter draft coverage. He was thought to probably have the higher ceiling than Bain coming into the draft. He was rumored to be someone that Memphis was targeting and that Dallas eventually wound up with. And then at the end of the day, a year later, he's no longer in the league. Desmond Bain is, is, is in the most improved player conversation. So I get that this has worked out pretty good for Memphis and not necessarily so good for the Mavericks. But my point that I'm getting at is, is that when you look at it from that perspective of including not just Josh Green, but Tyrell Terry in this and all the narratives there, you get an idea of how inexact the science of projecting where these players are going to be even a year after they've been drafted and how development is just as important as making the right pick, how that's helping Memphis, maybe not so much helping Dallas. But I think that that adds to the perspective, again, not in a negative sense, but how just, you know, it's not just making the, the right pick. It's what do you do with that pick once you've got it? And the Grizzlies finally have a front office and a staff that knows how to develop. And I'll add one more thing real quick, uh, Parker. So uh, not not only did the Grizzlies have the, the pleasure of getting Desmond Bain, but they also uh, drafted uh, Xavier Tillman, which uh, – Kudos to them for trading up and getting their guys two times. Uh, excellent um, strategy there. But just something that also will be on the, the mindset of Mavs Twitter uh, with the 2020 draft, potentially not. It seems not lighting up favorably for the Mavericks if potentially Josh Green doesn't work out in Dallas. That was also the same draft where they traded Josh Richardson or uh, Seth Curry for Josh Richardson. And uh, yeah, we would have definitely love to just have Seth Curry on this team right now. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand that. And I, I do want to shift over to probably one of the bigger connecting points between the two. And I kind of want to throw this out right now. We, you know, everybody loves calling people, uh, especially big men, unicorns. But I think we're starting to see that that's just how the game's going to evolve. And guys like Christos Porzingis and Jaron Jackson Jr. like the first of their kinds in that regard. I mean, we got Evan Mobley, uh, Chet Hel- uh, Holmgren, uh, Paulo Ventura, guys like that coming up. And Victor, when, uh, Victor, I'm not even going to try to botch this last name, but real draft people know who I'm talking about there. And But the thing with Jaron and Chris Tops is like, ideally, you want one of those two guys to be your number two, or at the very least, if you find a way to get another talent, you want them to be the either the 2A or 2B or even kind of like that third guy, kind of in that same vein of like that Kevin Love, Chris Bosh role that they played on those uh, big three teams. That's what you want Jaron Jackson Jr. and Chris Porzingis to be. Uh, they have those health concerns that kind of linger, and I think they both have been kind of turning a corner in that sense, especially Jaron Jackson Jr. on the defensive end of the floor. Sean said him balancing out his offensive act and really finding his efficiency inside the paint because I feel like everybody and their mother should have known that Jaron Jackson Jr. was going to shoot better than 40% on two-pointers, but people just wanted to ignore it and just say, oh, he's trash, trade him, what a terrible contract. They they didn't want to just kind of like let the law of averages settle out and let people kind of break out of their their, – 
spells in a sense, but I, I digress. But I do want to ask just how massive it is for these two guys with their performance this season, where it goes long term, and just ideally where do you see – like where could this team go if Jaron Jackson Jr. and Chris Hussle-Porsingas even hit like – let's say between 75 and 85% of what's expected out of them, like from the fan base, really. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting because for Dallas, like obviously, well, let me not say that, but for Dallas with Porzingis, it all, this entire season hinders on what he can do because everybody else on the roster, I think with the exception of Reggie Bullock, who I think is going to be just fine. Uh, is doing what is asked of them. And so it comes back to Porzingis. That's just it. And so you need that secondary production there in terms of really points, the defensive impact. I don't really know that that is part of the expectation anymore. Obviously you want it to be the the rim protection, the like help side blocking. He's been doing like pretty okay with that. But as far as like bodying against an opposing big and just making their lives difficult. We don't have that kind of guy. And so that's a completely separate issue. But with Porzingis specifically, if he can do it, like availability as a whole, like, yeah, that's a big part of the conversation. But if he can, when he's on the floor, produce, like you said, that 80, 75, 85% uh, mark like of his expectation, then yeah, Dallas will be just fine. And I think eventually they will get that next piece, whether it be the secondary playmaker or the big or the scoring wing, whatever your preference is, uh, I think they'll be just fine in the long term if they can keep, I'm not going to say keep the group together because I don't think that's the answer, but you get what I'm saying. I think if, if Porzingis can be what what's expected of him, you can kind of ride that Luca coattail uh, to the end because I think Luca's just that good and I think the same could be said for Ja uh, at some point. Uh, down, down. I mean, really, it what whatever playoff success this team potentially could have this season, Parker, it, it's on Porzingis' shoulders. Whether that's fair or not, it you know it is what it is. Luca, as great as he is, can really only do so much. At some point in time, Luca is going to get gassed. Like it, go back and look at the Clippers series where he tried to drag that team to a, a, a series when he tried, he did everything he possibly could. It just he didn't have enough. When Porzingis is healthy and engaged, that provides a different look on the offensive end. People actually have to guard Porzingis. They have to account for his shooting. And something I've seen him do a little bit more this season, which I I would love for him to continue doing, you know, everybody always complains about the post-ups. You know, TNT makes the references that, you know, Porzingis is a post-up all the time. He's very bad at it, blah, blah, blah. But the thing he's done differently He'll get in the paint, but he'll almost do a nice little power dribble and use his height to make a like that shot. It's like, great, start doing that more. Because if he utilizes his abilities, he doesn't necessarily have to get banged up all the time. Nobody's asking him to make Shaq-like moves, but at least go into the paint, utilize your abilities. Because, you know, he's freaking 7'3". Like, generally speaking... Most nights, he's going to tower over a lot of folks. Not that, you know, him making a a 40-foot pull-up three isn't, like, awesome to see, but it's not functional in the offense. And the times he does that, I feel like it's definitely, uh, you know, it's a momentum killer for sure because, you know, 
it's you you know it's usually i don't know what his percentages are but i would say he definitely misses more than he makes so if he is healthy and he's consistent with his offensive production uh like lauren mentioned i am not really expecting a lot of him on the defensive end but you know he's been pretty frisky on the defensive end if i i i, I definitely want to give him his due because he's definitely engaged uh he was great during the uh clippers overtime winner a, a few days ago so if he's doing that and giving you 25, 20 points a game, that, you know, that's great. And I would think as muddled as the Western Conference is right now, that should be enough to win at least a playoff series at minimum. So the thing that I'll say is this in terms of the difference between where the Grizzlies are with Jaron Jackson Jr. being their unicorn and Kristaps Porzingis, you know, being there for the Mavs is that, Y'all are talking about 75 to 80% of him being a, you know, very capable, you know, you know, part of the offense that you truly have to pay attention to, which opens up things even more for Luka. And it's fine. And I hear that you're saying that, you know, his defense is at least respectable. Well, that to me is overall the difference between the unicorn of Jaron Jackson Jr. hitting at 75 to 85% versus Kristaps hitting at 75 to 85%. Without a doubt, Luka, among these two rosters, is the best player. I still think that he is the reason why the Mavericks are the standard in the Southwest Division. But your coach himself said, and whatever opinion you have on Jason Kidd, that's perfectly fine. We don't have a team built to play defense. I believe it was the um, uh, statement that he made. And I won't go that far, but this is a Mavericks team that is squared away to play offense. They had, what, a historically good offense two years ago. Obviously, Luka adds unreal offensive value, all that different stuff. They can play defense when they need to. But the point that I'm getting at with Jaron Jackson Jr. is that if we're talking about him hitting at the 75 to 85 percentile range of where you expect for him to, that's a player who may have more defensive value than offensive value. When him and Dylan are on the court together for the Grizzlies, the overall defensive impact is staggering. It is impressive, near the best in the NBA. I know that our numbers may not suggest that, but you also need to keep in mind how little they've actually played together so far this season. So the reason that I'm bringing all this up to say where I still think that if the Grizzlies and the Mavericks have their unicorns hit in that 75 to 85% range, I think a big reason why I still would give the favor to the Grizzlies is that means they have a defensive anchor on their side who is making an impact, making more of an impact defensively than offensively this year. And I think that puts them in a more balanced position. And I think that's going to offer more value from a team perspective this year and moving forward than what you may get with the Mavericks. Plus there's also four years worth of difference, but I think there'll be a more defensive value in the future of Jaron Jackson Jr. And with how the Grizzlies are built, I think that helps them out with him as the focal point. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm about pretty getting crunched on time here. So I'm going to wrap up with this. So you have the Mavericks, you have the Grizzlies, you have two generational talents really holding it down for each team with John Moran for the Grizzlies, Luka Doncic for the Mavericks, you know, the unicorns that we talked about, quote unquote unicorns that we talked about with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Chris Sasporzinius. And just now everything's about building around those guys by building around your generational talents and then building around the guys that are really the X factors for you. That can be big difference makers. And, you know, we don't have to get into specific players and I'll start by kind of giving my thoughts here 
on just how those two teams are currently doing right now and building their roster construction and what could be helped going forward. Like with the Grizzlies, I think they've done a pretty solid job. You know, they got a solid one through 12, in my opinion, one through 11, one through 12. That could play NBA rotation minutes on any given night across all 30, all 30 teams. And I like how they spent that 12 through – I'm not going to count the two-way players. They spent that 12 through 15 getting guys that are more young flyers that you know. They may pop. They may not. They may turn into something. They may not. Guys like Zaire, uh, Jarrett Culver, Santi Aldama, Sam Merrill. You just wait and see with those guys. And I, I like what they did there. They very much value positional playmaking, defensive versatility, um, size with versatility. And I, I think it's a good little um, foundation going forward. And with the Mavericks, obviously, when building around Luka, it's kind of like the LeBron formula. You want guys that can hit catch-and-shoot jump shots. And um, and you have your big – your Versatile big men, a quote-unquote versatile, I'll say. I, I haven't seen a lot of good stuff on Dwight Powell, but Maxi Kleber, I like him. He's pretty versatile at what he does. But I want to transition over to the Mass Moneyball site manager, uh, Kirk Henderson, here real quick before uh, we close out the room. Kirk, I want to hear – well, for one, I want to hear how you're doing. But two, I want to hear your thoughts on just how the Grizzlies and the Mavericks are currently constructed right now and just what what are the other steps left to take and continue to maximize these fits around guys like Luka Doncic, John Morant, uh, Christos Porzingis, Jaron Jackson Jr., and ultimately becoming uh, Western Conference contenders. Ooh, hi. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Um, I apologize for being late just a day of meetings. Um, so I, I think, Parker, part of why you invited me on is because you know how desperately I love the entire Grizzlies roster and have for like three years, like John Conchar stands, stand up. Like this is, it's just sort of a depth of, of layout to where I would. And, and as much as I love John Morant, he'll, he'll never be six, seven, which is, is part of the thing that challenges him long-term. But I, I, I challenge like the swap, like Luca on this team would rock, for example, just swap those two. So I just, I really love the, the, the Grizzlies long-term roster construction. I think they have a lot of optionality. Um, I, I, I am just, just a big, big fan of, of most of the players though. Um, I will say, gosh, what's the, what's y'all's crazy shooting guard name? Um, Dylan Brooks, Dylan, Dylan Brooks was the Mavericks third best player the other night. I really, God bless really just want to, I really just want to shout him out. He has future Maverick written all over him with some of the crazy shots he was taking. Um, just real. I mean, he really did keep the only reason that game was like a five point game at the end is because of Dylan Brooks playing stupid. Like that, <laughs> we gotta be honest. Um, but that, I, that's I, fair. I, I just, you know, the, the overarching argument for anything match related he has to keep coming back to the fact that Luka Doncic is a generational talent. Um, and I think when you, when you start mincing words, like, like getting into these top 15, 20 guys, these small distinctions make all the difference in the world. And right now he's not looking very good. Um, Tim McMahon reported today he came into camp the past two years at a delightful 260 pounds, which is just uh, like, you can't do that as a professional athlete. Um, and, and that, you know, he's going to be what holds himself back more than anything, I think over the long run. And he'll, I, I don't think that will happen. I think he'll eventually figure it out. So 
you know, the, the argument is basically better team construction for the Grizzlies and sort of a path to reaching the, the, the cap uh, and the tax really without necessarily going into what uh, my friend Xavier in the chat, you know, and Danny LaRue call the birds right, bird rights trap, um, because I think they're paying good player, have the potential to play good players, um, a lot of money versus the Mavericks who are running into the problem this year of having to pay to get into the tax for guys who have not necessarily elevated them as a team. Um, I like the Grizzlies overarching path more for moving forward, but I just can't escape Luka Doncic as, as a, as a world beating player. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, I, I kind of, what, what you've told me before in, in a conversation is if you swapped the Grizzlies supporting cast with Dallas's, like if you gave Luca the Grizzlies supporting cast, they're probably a finals contender. And that just kind of sticks with me, you know, when it comes to evaluating this cast of players around John Morant and frankly, Jaron Jackson Jr. So I, I very much kind of get what you're saying. It's, it's one of those things where like, you know, we're watching this Jason Kidd experience unfold and you're like, God, this is ugly. But also at the same time, it's like they're okay because they have Luka Doncic. Like just let him play his way back into shape and you're going to be in the top six more than likely no matter what because you have Luka Doncic. So, yeah, I think it makes sense. Uh, I, I'm just – I'm not sure. I'm not uh, – I'm mute. There we go. So uh, I've I used this app four times a week and sometimes <laughs> I still can't figure it out. I, I still – I'm feeling really skittish about the Mavericks right now. Um, the kind of losses they're taking are the kind of, you know, they're, it, it's good that they close that gap against the Grizzlies. I had 200 words written in a recap that was basically like, this is their seventh double digit loss out of 10. This team blows. And because it's like, it's one thing to lose. It's another thing to get demoralized. And that's happened to the Mavericks in a lot this year. So I just don't know when they turn the corner. I mean, they play the Nets tonight, which is going to be bad. And then, like, Indiana Pacers, who they stink, but they're playing their old coach, who is a lunatic and very good about scheming specific players. So it's, I'm just a little concerned for their short-term future. Maybe they'll maybe they'll shake things out, but we've been really hammering this out of Mavs Moneyball. The paths to improvement don't really exist. It's mainly reshuffling uh, the players and figuring out different, maybe some different assets on other teams that also aren't performing very well. So I don't know. I, I think that, that, that right now I'm kind of thinking like play in six seed ish, may, maybe, but they're going to have to turn it around at some point. And it's not like. Hey Parker, can I put over the Grizzlies real quick? I, I've mentioned this on Sean's uh, podcast before, but just the fact that the way the Grizzlies are very smart and stealthy on uh, getting and establishing assets because they'll take on a bad contract. Because if you look at what they have coming up, they have three draft picks uh, available in this upcoming draft. So they have the ability to have conversations with the Indiana Pacers right now. Presently speaking, I know there's a lot of smart people that will play with the trade machine, but you're, you're not, you're kidding yourself if the Pacers would turn on a deal with maybe three draft picks, Zaire Williams, and maybe obviously you're going to have to adjust to the contracts potentially, but they're a big swing away from getting another piece. And if they land a, uh, a Levert or a Sabonis, 
I mean, I, I think these teams are uh, – the, the Grizzlies right now are going to leave this Maverick teams currently right now the way they are right now in the dust. You know, Brian, I haven't really uh, heard you put anyone over like that since uh, we talked about uh, a bunch of AEW. Like, I, I think that was like AEW-level praise from you right there. But uh, so real quick to wrap up, I'll get, I'll get Sean Sots to, to close out. Because, Brian, you'll probably agree, once they hear Sean's opinion, they're going to want to turn off the podcast anyways. Um, <laughs> I'm messing with Sean. But, Sean, just where, where do you stand on like the building of these teams? Just kind of like what's the pathway going forward? Well, and I, I think that you're seeing exactly what it is. Um, I think that um, Kurt got it right in that I still think that the Mavericks – are the standard in the Southwest Division simply because they have Luca. I view Luca as the top player in the league under 25. Uh, I think that he is going to be, um, you know, that way for the next decade. And that is the type of player that we have seen in the past be what is needed to win a title. But you're also starting to see trends where it's a, a pretty big team effort constructing a team. Yeah, you need a top 10 player. That's probably what you need. It'd be nice to have another top 25 player. But maybe as we get some of these, you know, alphas that have been out there for so long, as they trend out and the Grizzlies and, you know, Raptor or, or excuse me, Mavericks really start to trend towards when um, Luca and Jaw are in their primes, I think team construction is going to matter. But the last few weeks or the last basically 10 days, I think, is the reason why in the short term, I'm okay saying the Grizzlies may be a bit more favorable than Dallas. It's because without their star, without the guy offensively who kind of carried them at times and John Morant, when he got when he got hurt, you had the entire roster have to look at themselves in the mirror and realize that they were going to have to play at their best consistently in more featured roles. And that's exactly what they've done. And you've seen a more balanced team happen because of that. Whereas with the Mavericks, they, unfortunately, when they've been without Luka, they've been without Kristaps, they've basically been performing like a lottery team. And that's nothing against the Mavericks. It's just with where their roster is right now. So that's where it is. It's the balance of it being both offense and defense. But it's also the fact that when the Grizzlies lost their best individual talent, they still stepped up with the talent that they had and the balanced approach that they had, and they're finding ways to win. Whereas the Mavericks, they don't necessarily have that it factor on their talent to do it. So that's what I'm saying. I think the better roster construction definitely is in favor of the Grizzlies. But in terms of making that, making them overwhelming favorites over the Mavericks moving forward, I think that kind of puts them on even level with the Mavericks. Because if the Mavericks ever figure out how to do this roster construction thing on the Grizzlies level with Luka, they're title contenders year in. And I just really appreciate how we just close that out with the Mavericks person hyping up the Grizzlies and the Grizzlies person hyping up the Mavericks. That was awesome. That was fun. I got to hop off, but let, let's uh, enjoy some Grizzlies-Mavericks hoops tomorrow night. Enjoy some Mavericks hoops tonight, Mavs-Nets. That should be pretty dope. But we'll do this again. May do it on uh, – well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. May just kind of do these more spontaneously. But, yeah, uh, thanks, everyone, for joining. Of course, buddy. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, so that was the Spotify Green Room edition of the Longview Podcast. Make sure you are liking, subscribing, and downloading to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcast platforms, so that you can keep up with every single episode on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. 
five podcasts, one network. You don't want to miss out. And make sure you are following along at SB and Grizzlies on Twitter or on the web at grizzlybearblues.com. With that, we out you.